listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. Watching the news sometimes can be a very, very difficult experience. And this afternoon, <clears throat> as I was, uh, I have this little ritual where I kind of come home and uh, the dog and I have an appointment with Jim Lehrer every day at three. And uh, so I plop myself on the couch and I'd heard something early in the morning on the internet about a rather disastrous, uh, horrific situation at Virginia Tech. But I didn't realize the scope of it until I got home and saw actually what, what had happened. And it's so sad. So sad. The seeming, seemingly just this random act of uh, total brutality. What do, you, what do you say? I watched the president of the university just kind of get up there and say, I, what, do, what do we say? What, what does one say in a situation like this? And that's it. We have this impulse to say. We have this impulse to, to grab or to try to compartmentalize or to try to... And sometimes it's just beyond words. And in this situation it's beyond words I remember the uh, book uh, help me with the title here it's why good thing or why bad things happen to good people well I don't think you'll ever any of us will ever answer that question on the level of mind if we're looking for some type of answer or rationale or some type of meaning in the meaninglessness, uh, boy, we'll run into some real interesting uh, trouble. However, what we can do in situations like this where there is grief, where there is disaster, where there is bigotry, where there is hatred, where there, you know, where the, it's, it seems like, gosh, you know, how does this, how does this spiritual practice hold up in the face of all this? And the answer is fairly direct. I had an experience with, with my teacher. Some of you are familiar with this little anecdote, but he, I was, uh, quite taken at the this particular uh, spiritual community where I where I was uh, where I was working. Uh, they had all said that you know under no circumstances is there to ever be anything like war. In very warlike tones, they would say that. Never. There should never. Be war. Period. Okay. 
So there's never a time. If you use never, boy, you're really getting into some kind of areas of attachment that I think are pretty interesting. Um, I was not the most popular guy in the community when I brought up those questions. I was, I was even labeled a Republican. The R word came flying at me. And I thought that was so interesting because, I mean, I've never really considered myself uh, part of that party. But boy, to them I sure was because I was questioning the use of force in, it actually happened to be in, in, in relationship to the situation in Bosnia-Herzegovina. And uh, boy, it was really interesting. I then approached my teacher about this and I asked him, I said, you know, so much of this practice seems to be about just kind of sitting here and letting all the crap in the world just kind of fly around and we're supposed to be okay with it? Is that what this is about? Just, just sitting still even when people need our help? What do you do with all the pain? And I started to cry. And he just went like this. He took, he cupped both hands and put them behind his ears closed his eyes and it was the most beautiful thing I just kind of went oh 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 my job is not to come up with answers as to why bad things happen to good people my job as a practitioner of this work is not to try to engage in any type of intellectual understanding rationale any type of compartmentalization it's not to grasp, it's not to fix, but rather to just regard the cries of the world with total openness and then respond constructively. That way, you've broken the cycle of violence because it's no longer internal. If it's no longer internal, you act then as literally an agent of peace. But you're acting. You're not sitting still only. You're letting the sitting still inform the standing up. You let the motion, you let the engaging impulse that you have within, let it fly, but let it be oriented in a place that's still loving and kind. So I bowed, bowed to the little bald guy and then I uh, kind of walked out of there and I felt like it had been such a wonderful lesson and I realized as I walked out of there he had said nothing to me. He, he didn't say a thing, that's all he did was he just cupped his hands and put them behind his ears, closed his eyes. So much teaching in that just few short moments. Because I got to kind of bleed emotionally all over the place. And he mopped it up like that. Just like that. Didn't say a thing, he was just present. What did he do to my violence? What did he do to my turmoil? It's 
like he assuaged it just by being there. Did he act? Sure he did. So, as we sit tonight, I want you to regard the cries. See if you can open yourself wide enough. Go to that place that has such depth that you can actually tolerate anything that comes your way. If that's too much for you, there's another practice that's almost the same thing. Okay, but not quite as intense. And that is, I want you to practice with sound. It can be kind of hard in this environment because what you'll do is you'll hear some stuff going on in the neighboring office, maybe over here. Okay, you might hear some stuff coming from the from the freeway, but it's a lot of real subtle sound that's going on. Best ones are the best sounds, I think, the most entertaining at least, are when people have eaten well prior to Zazen. Always the most entertaining. Bless you. Okay? But practice letting those sounds in. And don't respond. Just be with the sound. Practice regarding the sounds, whether they're cries, the cries of the world, or they're your neighbor's gurgling stomach. Okay? Just practice with sound. Okay? And as you do that, see if you can uncover non-sound. See if you can hear the silence in between the sounds. So I've just given easy, medium, and hard. Okay? You get to choose at what level you want to approach this, okay? But we'll have a sitting tonight that is kind of directed. You have a job to do in the sitting, and that is to be present, okay? Regard sound. Just regard it, okay? Don't say I like or I don't like. Just be with it. I had someone email me recently asking what should we as practitioners look for in teachers? I thought this was such a such a great great question and of course it's been answered time and time and time again. What is it that makes a great teacher? In any capacity, be it spiritual or something else, great teachers tend to push us lovingly. And the direction they tend to push us is towards a deeper and more expansive evolution personally and interpersonally. They help us connect with something bigger. And it doesn't necessarily have to be someone who expertly wields chalk. It can be someone in the 
at the table next to you in a restaurant. It can be the clerk who just can't seem to get it together enough so that you can make your flight. They're just not fast enough and you need to be, right? It can be somebody in a formal situation who does uh, wield chalk, or in my case, I wield hands. Right? It can be in that case, but it can also just be pretty much anything. Anything. It can come in the form of a book. It can come in the form of a television program. It can come in the form of an event. All of this can show up as a teacher. But there are some things that I think are really important to be clear about when you find yourself in that space looking for a teacher and I think whether it's in a in, in a formal situation or it's you're just kind of you know being present in the world one of the most important things you can do is have your common sense peaked this comes up because the person that was asking me this question had a, a pretty negative experience in a community that they were in. And the leader of the community they started to wonder about, there was never anything um, uh, overtly sexual or anything like that. It wasn't, there wasn't an abusive situation that was sexual, but that it, it, there was a, the, people seemed to lose their way. And I think it's a really it's really instructive for us to look at situations like this. Certainly, we've heard of these experiences, you know, where spiritual teachers have really done a lot of damage. Uh, and communities themselves can actually do damage, although it's not usually as severe. What I'm, I guess I'm trying to point out is that you begin to start listening to your own heart as it relates to every teacher that you meet. This keeps us safe from this amazing egoic trap, which is, oh, they are enlightened, therefore they can enlighten me. And if you can notice what I'm saying there, there's already the position of, I'm in here, they are out there, all right? That's a position, uh, an attachment. Okay? They're separate from me. They have something that I want. Right there is the fuel for delusion. That's, that's how delusion is fueled. Meaning, when we start perceiving the world as, and this happens really early for most of us, right around two years old, I'm in here and everything else is out there, that creates a situation whereby the thing that's in here always needs protection. It's always looking for protection. This is attachment. It's looking for protection, trying to build the bunker, okay? And simultaneously, it's trying to avoid things that threaten it. So even as grown-ups, we do this all the time. In fact, this is the normal way of walking through the world. It's seeing not connection, but separation. 
So once again, what does the teacher do? The teacher, good ones at least, take this separation and they show us how to bring it together. They show us how to take disparate parts and bring them together. And then once we do that, we begin to integrate that. So it doesn't stay still, actually it becomes dynamic. It actually moves. It actually becomes a dance. So, getting really clear about your common sense. Really following your heart when you start, start looking you know, for teachers and stuff like that. When you start seeing someone that can bring this together for you, when they can bring wisdom and compassion together, this and that, in here, out there, when they can bring that together for you, your entire life becomes this offering, this bow. I would go a step further. I would say really good teachers also have this quality, and this is in my experience, and you, you may not appreciate this so much, but I appreciated uh, relentlessness. There are different kinds of students, spiritually. And I walked into this with a bunch of greed. That was what really fueled my journey, was greed. I wanted what that lady has. She just buzzes differently. Or that guy, he just, there's something about, I want that. That's going to be really useful to me in the world. You know, <laughs> this enlightenment thing, you know what? It would make a great business to you. You know, it's like, I, I really, I was just so twisted about this whole experience. And they were relentless lovingly relentless. It was metaphorically as if every time I went in to see them when we would have our, our practice interviews and so forth, every single time I went in there for like the first three years, I felt like I had just gotten my ass kicked when I left. You know? And fortunately, they kept me off balance enough that my ego could never manage the whole thing fully. Yet at the same time, they didn't alienate me. I mean, I did go away a couple times, but I always ended up coming back because I knew what they were saying had some real, real stuff for me, something that was really nourishing. And again, it's all about taking this... I mean, I, I looked at myself kind of as the, uh, uh, the caterpillar, and I would go into the community and cocoon, and they turn me into soup, right? They just literally, just it was like I, I went into a blender. The image, I even sometimes had this during meditation. Do you remember that Saturday Night Live thing that Dan Aykroyd used to do called the Bassomatic? You know what I'm talking about? Where he had the blender, and he just takes this bass, and he fires up... You know what I'm talking about? He fires up the blender and drops the bass in it. And it just whipped. That's what I felt like. It's like, where, where are my bearings? Where am I, you know? And they were right there the whole time. Right there the whole time offering this support.
and with enough of their support, teaching and teachers started to show up everywhere. 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 It's my wife. It's you guys. It's my dog. All right? It's my fellow man. It's the person that goes on the murderous rampage. It's the grieving mother. It's the little girl in the Amish community who says, kill me first. It's the Iraqi who's suffering, suffering, suffering. It's the soldier who is suffering, suffering, suffering. It is the perpetrator of the suicide bomb or the car bomb who is suffering, suffering, suffering. They are all our teachers and they have the ability if our perspective can just widen a bit to show us some stuff. A good teacher, rather than showing us how to resist something, a good teacher shows us how to release. A good teacher points out how instead of being contracted and confined, how we can be expansive and open. A good teacher points out our ego or our small self and shows us the path we can take to get to the non-ego or the big self. A good teacher points us from mind orientation and identification with what goes on in our minds and shows us the stillness of no mind, that space between our thoughts. A good teacher shows us that underneath every single thing that moves is stillness. A good teacher shows us that no matter how much sadness, negativity, depression, anguish, suffering is piled up on top of our life, situation, a good teacher shows us that there is peace underneath it all. A good teacher shows us that instead of orienting our entire existence around doubt, that we can orient our entire existence around wonder. And that wonder, that curiosity, that beginner's mind we sometimes say, allows us to see, experience ultimate and infinite possibilities as opposed to just a few. So internally, be gracious to your teachers, whoever they might be. And if you don't feel comfortable telling them, hey, thanks for being my teacher, at least say it internally. Let that gratitude begin to bubble up in your experience as often as possible. It's the key to joy. And when joy meets our life experience, we find happiness.
Yes? Can you be your own teacher? Uh, sure, but there are limits. There are limits. The same... It's, it's very hard to find, for instance, solutions. I think Einstein said something like this. It's very hard to find solutions from, with the same mind that created the problems. Is that right? Dan, you're a quote guy. Is that about right? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's the gist of it. The gist of it. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words, we can. The, the ego loves to do that for obvious reasons. You know, <laughs> I am my own authority, which is the credo of the separate self. So it's best, at least there's a, we, we, don't, we don't run the risk of kind of just flying off into this eddy along the, the flow of life and being caught in this eddy of self-orientation. The self-concern will, will always be there when we are our own teacher. That said, we hopefully are always our own student. It's better to be, you know, if we're going to put any judgment on this, it's more, um, uh, there's a greater efficacy if we're in a surrendered space as opposed to in an authoritative space. Because that absolute certainty, which ego loves to have, that absolute certainty almost always leads to confusion. Actually, absolute certainty is another way of saying fundamentalism. And absolute certainty or fundamentalism always leads to violence, either internal or external. So steering clear of that allows us to you know, plug ourselves into a situation where we're with someone else who also uh, has an even deeper context, which is they themselves are with more of us. So it's always a with situation as opposed to a singular situation. And that with doesn't deny singular or plural. It puts them together. Right? So we are the many and we're also one all at once. So that's the long-winded way of saying, might want to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Great question, though. Yeah. Wondering where the magical key to motivation for sitting more is. <laughs> where, where is the magical key that motivates us towards sitting more regularly? I'll tell you what was helpful to me, but this may not work work for you. Uh, someone very close to me died. And then I realized, oh, wait, 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 this isn't a dress rehearsal. And then I started meditating on my own death. And when I say meditate on my own death, it wasn't that I went into, into the zendo and then sat on my cushion and just thought about death. But during my day, I really tried to imagine what this space would be like without me. And it was reassuring in a couple of ways. First of all, I knew it was going to go on without me. I wasn't that important. 
but at the same time, it sparked a certain, um, it stiffened my spine a little bit. This is, you know, we're, this, is, this is the vehicle. This is, you have every single thing that you need for awakening. Everything. There is nothing missing, lacking. It's all right there. It's all there. All you have to do is go through a process of unlearning, a process of reevaluation, a process of honest, radically honest openness in relationship to every experience that you have and study that and study that and study that. And uh, over time, I, again, I, I hate to make this all personal, but I just recognize that the very thing that was keeping me from sitting was the exact thing that was veiling awakening from my experience. And so whenever that little voice or that little impulse to uh, later maybe, that was the curtain. That was the wizard behind the curtain. You know? Just the ego, just trying to manipulate and control. I got this one. Take a rest today. You know? It's important to take a rest every once in a while. But... Uh, also, among the most important things is developing a relationship, becoming very intimate with that thing that doesn't want to sit. Make friends with it, because then it can't, it can't play in opposition to you. You're bigger than it is. The impulse to awaken is much bigger than that. And that's the key. When you said something earlier about going into um, see your teachers or learn the lessons and it was twisted, yeah, um, I've recently been encountering uh, a renaissance of that people are going through this resurrection of Napoleon Hill and uh, positive thinking and the secret. Sorry, <laughs> it's a secret, but it's not that much of a secret. And it's a book. It's a movie. It's it's a tape. <laughs> it's an attraction to abundance. Uh huh. And I'm I'm finding that I have buttons pushed by that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I've also had to deal with it because uh, one of my close friends has embraced it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I'm finding that it's creating. So, so then the question, I'm really glad you asked this, if I'm hearing it right, but let's, I'm going to try to, I've been stewing. <laughs> I'm going to try to piece it together a little bit. What do you do when one of your friends becomes very um, enamored of a particular teaching that creates distance between you and that friend? Or put in more concrete terms, what if you have a friend or friends that suddenly start looking at the secret and its law of attraction as being the answer that they've just always seemed to miss, but that's it. Am I getting close? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, first of all, I think the law of attraction is very real. I have no problem with that. I don't 
Right. You know, I mean, we, we literally, it's attitude is so much because it's what happens with our choices, right? And when you realize that all we are are mechanisms of choice, okay, what happens in this process of sitting is that we become aware of the variables. We become aware of infinitely more options the more we expand, right? So instead of the world becoming black and white and then just being shades of gray, it's technicolor, okay? Now, what the secret does, I think, very well is point that out to people, you know? Allow yourself to believe, all right? But the flip of that is that it's not just about attracting abundance or it's about losing weight, having the body you've always wanted to have, you know, stuff like that. Is, is this, the sales pitchiness of it, okay, can become, re, it can grind, right? What's grinding is that it, this is a way of turning ego into some type of spiritual practice, okay? The ego loves the secret because the ego can manage it. The law of attraction. You mean, if I want a Mercedes, I'm just supposed to go to the dealership? I'm supposed to smell the leather of that car? I'm supposed to intend my way into a C1, you know, whatever. Sure. Yeah, you could do that. But at what cost? And who is it that's following that impulse? We've lost our way the minute we do that. And I would say that that has absolutely nothing to do with awakening. Okay? So, back to you. My advice, when we have uh, a situation, like whether it's you know, somebody who has fallen into a deeply narcissistic version of spirituality, or they're in a community that, they, that you just don't trust, that gives you kind of a bad vibe, or you know, whatever. The best thing you can do, as with any situation, is become their student. Become very intimate with the things that they are showing you. If they're showing you resistance, if they're showing you your own internal resistances, they're giving you a gift because what they're doing is they're pointing out your ego. They're pointing out the small self. And this work is about shifting the relationship that ego has with itself. We become bigger in that moment. Yeah? Yeah, there's a lot of lessons. There, there are a lot of lessons. Digging your own heels in. There's um, embracing. There's yeah. Yeah. Not being the critic. Well, and not being, and not getting fundamental on them. That's right. You never want to get fundamentalist on anybody. You know. And what works for some doesn't work for others. I mean, I hate to use cliches that we learned when we were little kids, but it's, it, it, I, I find it to be in some ways a good sign because I think people are getting rattled a little bit now. I think these last seven, eight years have conspired to create a shock. We were lulled out of a certain drunken stupor and into a deeply sober a sobering situation or series of situations for people in the West. That's really good. That's really good. That's good for all of us. Why? Because it took our contraction and made us look more deeply at things. That's the secret. <laughs>
Thank you guys. <laughs> oh, announcement. Yeah.